This is a Galatian interrogation, is the title of tonight's uh, message. There's a church, and uh, there are some serious issues with this church. Uh, a Galatian interrogation tonight. Galatians chapter 3 here in the New Testament. If you go to Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 1. <clears throat> and uh, we've been talking about it. Last week, uh, the Apostle Paul, he talked about Peter and uh, that he had to withstand Peter because Peter uh, was living hypocritically and uh, a very uh, <laughs> vivid uh, interaction of Peter and Paul here. And so, but uh, anyways... Here in Galatians chapter 3 tonight, verses 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. It's only what I learn of you, received ye the, the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so, so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? And uh, as Paul is going to interrogate, he said, who has bewitched you? Like, who's put a spell on you, that wherein you are deceived by the very things that are coming into this church? And so Paul is so concerned. These are young believers. Uh, these are people, uh, they're young in their faith, or their faith isn't very strong. And so Paul now turns to an exposition of grace and faith. And, uh, you know, as opposed to the law and works. If you look at, if you were to look in, say, the Catholic Church, uh, there's works-based. You're trying to do all these works and penance and mass and all these things, hoping that you will make your way to heaven. But the Bible tells us it's all by grace and faith as a means of getting right with God. You can never be good enough. You can never reform yourself enough. And so, uh, as we think on these very truths, the, the word foolish here is, he says, who is so senseless? Are you so senseless? Now, sometimes when someone comes to you with some things that are maybe a little bit harder to, to take, they're doing it with a an intent, if someone you know truly cares about you, and they're asking you some questions, but you're like, man, oh, Friday, you're just a little bit, you know, you're with, you know, you're a little bit coarse today. You're a little rough today. But Paul is rough because he's concerned if they continue down a path of falsehood. Falsehood leads you in the wrong direction. You see, you won't know, as we just sang that song, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. You won't have any hiding because you're going a wrong direction. And so it is so important that we have a right doctrine. Your beliefs are according to this book. Any deviation, and you go the wrong direction. And you will cause yourself a lot of unnecessary heartaches. The Bible gives us the very boundaries, not as a means of killing our fun, but as a means of protecting us from the very things that seek to hurt us and harm us. And with those words, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. 
Father, I yield tonight to you. I thank you for being our precious Savior. And God, I need your help tonight as I preach this word. And Lord, I don't know where each and every person is tonight, but Father, if there's anyone here tonight that is not saved, Lord, I pray that you draw them unto thyself. And Father, for believers, Lord, I pray that you'd embolden us in the word of God. Lord, also a fact that of a compassion on those who are going a wrong direction. Lord, may we not stand idly by, but Lord, may we seek to speak up and do what is necessary. Father, I thank you for your grace. You take over. We commit all of this to thee. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. And this idea, the Lord used this noun to describe the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Who said, he said they were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Luke 24, 25. And so he's talk, I mean, he uses the noun senseless. And the, what is happening here is the Galatians had not reflected on the scriptures. They had not reflected on what they were taught. And so, you know, they were acting in a, in a way of their following their heart. And there's even worse there. Because that word bewitched is like to be hypnotized. You know, how a serpent catches a bird that has wings. How in the world can a serpent catch a bird? The snake is not very fast. I mean, it does have a fast strike. But there is something, and, and here, let me give you a little illustration here. I saw this, uh, this gentleman gives this illustration. He said, he said, I saw a young boa constrictor uh, do that once to a mouse. It hypnotized a mouse. The mouse simply stood there gazing in fascinated horror at the slowly approaching serpent. It made no attempt to get away. It stood still, simply shaking in every limb and awaiting its doom. And what is happening here is the Galatians have been hypnotized by the clever arguments of text-juggling legalists. What do I mean by this? They are people who take the scriptures, they twist them to follow their skewed or biased views of God. So you can, someone can use the scriptures, you're like, well, that's what the Bible says. But they're not considering the context, the culture, the, they're not understanding. You can take any verse in the Bible and use it however you want to out of context. Because context is important. Now, if I were to say, I stole a car, you could say, he said he stole a car. I did. But the context was, I just said I stole a car, but I've never stolen a car. But you could say, Pastor Chris said he stole a car. That's totally out of context. And then that's what they're doing here, is these people evidently set forth. Paul is saying, who has cast a spell on you, and you're now mesmerized you know, and sometimes in Christianity, or in quote-unquote professing Christianity, there's things that come and you're like, whoa, I never saw that before. You're like, whoa. Has this been hidden for thousands of years? Nothing's been hidden. There's nothing new under the sun. And you're like, whoa. And it goes through all, you know, there's people like to do all this numerology and on such and such a page and he counts down and you get all this secret stuff and you can get the secret knowledge and you're like, whoa. My friend, don't be, don't be hypnotized. 
understand the context of what's being said. There's not some secret message behind the message that's here. I promise you there's not. And you think about this, there's like some sandwich boards men. You know, men, people, men and women, they might wear those sandwich boards where they have a message on the front and a message on the back. And they're going out and, and they're telling people, they're announcing about Christ. The, and he said, the very thing is, Christ hath been evidently set forth. He said, we have published, we've advertised, we've spoken about Christ. I mean, Paul had proclaimed, he had placarded. I mean, he put on, essentially, as someone wearing these sandwich boards. You guys know what I mean by that? I hope you do. And so Paul is just like, what in the world? You guys are like, a, you know, just an animal that has been totally hypnotized. You know, sometimes you might see on maybe some of the cartoons I remember as a kid, and, uh, you know, there's a snake and its eyes are going like in, you know, little pinwheel circles, black and white, and little pinwheels, like, ooh, you know, and you're just like, the hypnotism that's there, this idea, this bewitching, seductive, I mean, and so what happens is, and one of the things that happens oftentimes in Christianity, and this is probably one of the areas I see it more often than not, at least from my perspective, is people with respect to uh, this idea of Calvinism, that God somehow, this is totally false, but somehow they'll use the scriptures, they sound really smart, they look at the scriptures, and you're like, well, I guess that's what it says, because so-and-so has all these degrees and all these doctorates, and, and, uh, and they say that God chose people for salvation. No, he didn't. God's not willing that any should perish. But they'll use all these scriptures, they contort it to their worldview, and then they confuse you. See, the Bible is to be clear. And the fact is that Christ had rent the, the veil in twain, that the veil in the temple was ripped in two, giving us free access to Jesus Christ. I don't need to do a lot of works to try to earn my way to God in hopes, as some might irreverently say, the big man. He's not a big man, he's God. He has a name. Judaism is dead. You know, something's very subtle about this. And this is how cults and others work. Some might say, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. See, the Bible says, others might say, see, the Bible says, forbid not to speak tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, 30. When you're dead, you're dead, others might say. You know, and some might say, even the dead know not anything. I mean, this is the old cult trick of interpreting Scripture without its context. And without regarding the scope, the purpose of the book, the people to whom the book is intended. Now, I understand all Scripture is given for inspiration of God, and it's profitable, all the Word of God. But you understand uh, here, the Galatians, the church of Galatia, to whom the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit of God, is writing, he understands the culture of the people here. You know, if someone was to come up here to, to the north, the culture here is different than southern Manitoba. Things just function differently up here. Relationships are different up here. 
And so in an understanding of this, and so we can take the Bible out of context and try to make it fit our 21st century culture. Now, I'm not saying the Bible is irrelevant because it's absolutely relevant, completely relevant for all time. But if you take a passage out of context, and this is where, you know, the historical grammatical method of interpretation, of the exposition of scriptures, you look at the Bible, you know, they, they might say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, they might also say, you know, we need to follow all these Jewish laws. You must be circumcised. You must be this. You must follow this holy day and this feast day. And this is what was going on here in the church of Galatia. And I know I've been going over it, but the fact is, grace, the grace of God is not law. We are under the dispensation of grace, not the law. Let me explain that. A dispensation is a period of time of how God relates to humanity. Now, God doesn't change, but how he relates to humanity. When Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God walked with them. They were perfect, and God had free, unfettered access to them. When they sinned, Guess what? He kicked him out of the garden. God still wanted a relationship with them, but how he interacted in the day now with sacrifices. Then you had in Israel, and so it's a stewardship. It's a period of time. Nevertheless, during this period of time, we have free access to the throne of God. Every one of us can go straight to God. It's a little warm in here tonight. Calvary... Where Jesus died has changed the basis of God's dealing with men. The institution of the church is not Israel, although there are saved Jews in churches. Israel is a temporal nation, national hopes, goals, and destiny. The church as an institution is across nations, across cultures. Mount Sinai, where they got the Ten Commandments, imposes a different set of principles than does Calvary. And these believers are hypnotized by these Jewish people who are coming into them with the Scriptures. They have a knowledge of the Scriptures, and these people that are coming in are saying, See, you need to follow these feast days. You need to follow the Sabbath. You need to do all this other stuff. If you really want a good relationship with God. They didn't understand that the church of Galatia, they're Gentiles. They're not bound under that. Jesus fulfilled the law. He completed it. You know what error remains no matter who teaches it? There's always going to be error. The hypnotic fascination of error lies in seemingly authoritative but actually deceptive use of Scripture. The Seventh-day Adventists, they do this to, to, to deceive those who listen to them. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, Catholics, all religions. There is a path, if you think about this, and the seduction that's going on, verse 2, this only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of law or by the hearing of faith. Paul is saying, did you receive the Spirit of God? Every one of us, when we're saved, when we ask Jesus Christ 
as our Savior, the Spirit of God comes and lives within us and every person that accepts Jesus as their Savior. He said, did you receive Jesus by being a good person? The law says you must do this or else. Grace said what's done. The law says you need to try. Grace says trust. The law says you must behave right. Grace says believe. The law points to the commandments. Grace points to Christ. The weakness of the law is our own flesh. You ever find yourself wanting to do things? You're like, I'm going to stop doing this one thing. I'm done. I'm going to stop doing this particular bad habit in my life. And no sooner do you say you're going to stop and you find yourself doing it again, you're like, that's your flesh. That's your own sinful nature that's fighting with you. Well, that flesh isn't going to bring you closer to Jesus. Here's a truth for you. The law of biogenesis. Let me explain this for you. Louis Pasteur, pasteurized milk, known for that. He demonstrated the truth in his day. He took a thoroughly sterilized, hermetically sealed flask, a flask that nothing had ever been into it. There was no viruses, no bacteria. There was absolutely nothing in this little flask. Okay? And he sealed it. He said, I can keep this flask for 100 years and there will never be life. Because life must have life before it that produces it. Children don't just spontaneously happen. Life brings life. Now, if you want to go on your kitchen counter and, and you leave an apple for days, or say an orange, for days cut open, an orange, you cut it open, so now the flesh inside is exposed, and you leave it for days, what's going to happen to that orange? It's going to get a little fuzzy. It's going to kind of stink. Maybe fruit flies are going to start coming from it because they put eggs in it. You're going to start getting some things you don't want because on that orange, that orange has a breeding ground for life. Life begets life. The law, though, can't, the the law is without life. Good works is without life. The law is dead. Deadness can't bring life. How many people do you know that go to the grave and they have children after they've been in the grave? You said, that's silly. It is. If you're dead, you can't bring life. Grace, Christ, who is the life, Guess what? He brings life. Life begets life. So good works and all the religious rituals, which is trying to earn everything, isn't Jesus who is the life. So it can't bring forth life. Paul is saying, did you get the Spirit of God by that which is dead? No, you didn't. No amount of doing this 
or all these good things can bring about life. It just simply can't happen. Dead can't bring life. No person who's in the grave will bring forth a child. It's impossible. And if I told you it was possible, you might think I'm way off my rocker. And I would be. Jesus told Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You can't have the Spirit of God apart from the Spirit of God. There is no life without prior life. It could only point out a standard of behavior that God would accept, one that we are incapable of producing in the flesh. God calls it our sinful flesh. My sinful flesh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. My sin, which is against God, cannot bring forth life. Because I struggle. I'm not perfect. I do sin. It can't bring life. I do break God's laws, and so do you. We all do. So in the questions he's asking here, did you receive the Spirit by trusting, by trying, or by trusting? By works or by faith? In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, we'll find, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life, this is Romans 8, 2, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Because Adam and Eve, what happened when, what what did God tell them in Genesis chapter 2? He says, if you eat of this fruit, ye shall surely die. Death doesn't bring life. And I know I'm reiterating this, but it is so important that we understand this, that someone who doesn't know Christ is dead spiritually. And the only way to defeat the habits and the the products of life that are bringing forth death is to bring life. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is an absolutely important thing. Paul never told on his first missionary journey, he never told the church of Galatia, follow the Ten Commandments. Had he told them to be circumcised and keep the Sabbath and and to become proselytes of the Jewish religion, he never did that. He continually emphasizes the simplicity. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. They had been, they had believed, they had been regenerated, they had been indwelt, sealed, filled, Baptized by the Spirit. Now, baptism of the Spirit is not speaking in tongues. It's at the moment of conception, when we accept Christ, that's the moment of conception, when I accept Christ, I'm a child of God. And the Spirit of God lives within me. I'm His child, and so are you if you accept Jesus. And His Spirit lives within you to help you go through life so that when you're going through life, that the, His Spirit speaks to your spirit And maybe you're wanting to do what's wrong, and then all of a sudden you start doing wrong, and you're like, oh man, I feel horrible inside. That grief 
There is like an, you see the Christian who's living for himself will be the most miserable of all people because God's spirit is at fighting with your spirit and you are miserable because you're at odds with the very God who bought you. You're his, you're his child. I've lived in that state of being at odds with God and grieving the spirit of God and over and over again. It's a horrible place to be. I want you to think about this. He asks, you know, in verse 3, are you so foolish? Paul doesn't, I mean, Paul doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold any punches. Man, Paul just says it like it is. Are you so foolish? And sometimes it would do us well. He said, are you made perfect by just trying to be a good person? Here's a little illustration for you. Does a butterfly... Having emerged from its chrysalis, transformed, you know, kind of from a caterpillar, goes into the cocoon, and then uh, metamorphosized to a new life, equipped with the gorgeous gossamer wings, continue as a caterpillar? A, butter, a butterfly that's become a butterfly doesn't go back to being a caterpillar. It's spread its wings. It's totally different. It's metamorphosized. Someone who becomes a Christian, as 2 Corinthians 5.17, is a new creature. You're different. You're not just reformed. You haven't just gone through some laws and, and tried to make your life better. From inside you, your wants have changed. Because you're a new creature. Because the Spirit of God indwells you. I hope this makes sense. Trying to earn salvation, trying to do religion gets you nowhere. They have new life in Christ. They're a new creature. They're a new creation. They're a new person. When you accept Jesus Christ, the burden of sin is taken. And you're His. The old way could be summed up like this. I will put all that I am as a man into being good, into keeping the commandments and into obeying the law. That's the old way. How many people do you know in culture, society, wherever? Yeah, I need, a little, I need to start praying again. I need, to, I need some of that religion thing. I know my life's going wrong. I just need some of that God thing. Maybe not those exact words, but that's the sentiments of their heart. But it's not just doing because doing you're still in charge my eternal destiny is not me in charge my eternal destiny is trusting that what jesus did on a cross was enough that cross his death his burial his resurrection there's life guess what what does a seed do a seed goes in the ground essentially dies because it's in the ground then it comes back and it brings forth vegetables and fruit and whatever that seed was. It brings forth what it is. Jesus died. He rose again. The seed going in the ground brings forth life. You can't achieve a holy life by your own efforts. Look with me at Romans 8, 3 and 4. Paul is, here are some people, they're taking the scriptures and they're twisting them. Oh, Bible, 
Getting to Jesus isn't that simple. Getting God's blessings isn't that simple. I always have to make it more complicated. Look at me, how smart I am, right? That's kind of the idea there. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That what the law could not do, you cannot bring about your own righteousness. Going back to Galatians verse 4, have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Have ye suffered so many things in emptiness? The Jews had become Paul's bitter enemies. His enemies, excuse me. The, the Jews would stone Paul. It was the religious people. Oh, Paul. Paul doesn't understand the scriptures. He doesn't know all the rules that he's supposed to follow to get to God. And it angered them. So they stoned him. Paul suffered a lot. The infant church would face persecution. And evidently, as we see here, the Galatians had suffered. When you become a Christian, those who don't know Christ, sometimes your friends and family or your old acquaintances, they're not going to recognize you. They might make fun of you. Because you're different. You're a new creation. If people start, as Paul, if they start to follow the simplicity of Jesus, what did the Jews seem to, deem to lose? They seem to lose everything. Because as you have all these rules, then you have man in control of man in control of other people's destiny, or as they think. But if Jesus is the only path to salvation, then man isn't in control anymore. You can't make, you know, it's a moneymaker and all these other things. You can't do that. Because my eternity doesn't rest on finances. You lose everything if you give up of a religion. In 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Jesus is saying, will you stand with me? In Hebrews 10.38, now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. God's saying, don't, you know what, when, you start, when somebody starts giving you a hard time about being a Christian, don't give up. Don't say, well, I used to believe in Jesus. Don't do that. Either he is real or he's not. But if he's not, you better prove to me how his resurrection wasn't true. The resurrection was true. Verse 5, He therefore that ministereth you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. Now this is a still in the transitional age. What I mean by transition is they're going from the Jewish Old Testament to the New Testament, or the church age, if you would. And so there's this transition where these signs and miracles that they're doing are a testimony to the non-believing Jews and the Jews 
that what is occurring is of God. And it was foretold in Joel chapter 2 and in other places of Scripture that of all these miracles going on, we don't have them anymore. Now, Satan does a great work to deceive, but we don't have them anymore. So, suppose that the man had said to Paul, Sir, you are evidently a man of God. How can I be healed of my lifelong lameness? Now, imagine Paul goes up to the man. He says, well, keep the commandments. Worship God. Avoid idolatry. Don't take God's name in vain. Do all these works. Imagine if he, you know, the guy's saying, well, I need to get to Jesus. And Paul says, well, if you want to be healed inside, you need to do all these works. And he's lame. Oh, yeah, you need to walk to church. And the guy's lame, like he can't walk. You would look at me, and you'd say, Pastor, don't you see the guy can't walk? It's impossible. He can't do it. He, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit. This ministering is the supply. God would supply his Spirit. Well, obviously, the reference here is to God the Father. He, God the Father. Paul is trying to remind his friends the Christian life is a supernatural life. It's a life for God. The supernatural is not about some physical, like circumcision or keeping the Sabbath or something else. Paul knew his enemies well enough to know that they would have nothing to do of the kind. And they are trying to put a stumbling block to these young believers. Now that they're saved, and what's happening is is Satan's getting in with all of this so-called academics and everything else, and he's trying to deceive them. Because what happens when a Christian is deceived? When a Christian is deceived... You render your enemy useless. When a Christian goes the wrong direction and does, is not going with God, you're no longer working with God, you're working against God, so now you're his enemy. And you're not able to influence others for God as you thought. That whole doctrine, that this is one doctrine that just drives me crazy and it's so ungodly. Uh, that God chooses people to salvation. He doesn't choose anyone. It's a personal choice. But they will use all this high, very difficult language to understand to try to point out. And what happens when people begin to go down this path, any churches that go down this path of belief, they're no longer reaching people for Christ. They become an isolated island unto themselves. The world is no longer important because they believe, well, if God's going to choose some people, I guess he's going to choose them. He doesn't need us. You know what? You lose that relationship with God. You lose the ability to minister and serve God and serve others. Because then all the service to God is is mere ritual of, I guess I'm supposed to do this. If I just had to love my wife because I guess that's what I'm supposed to do, it doesn't mean very much. 
But if I love her because it's of my heart, that's different. If I love you guys, I'm not doing it because I have to. I do it because as I have a relationship with God, it helps me to love others. And so Paul's interrogation of these believers, he is so concerned. He says, listen, these people coming in are trying to render God's army, if you would, useless in the battle. Satan's winning here. He's bewitching you under a curse of wrong belief. And wrong belief leads to being immobilized as an army that can move forward. It is so important that the gospel is exactly what the Bible tells us. It is not good works. It's not being a good person. It is simply that you take the Bible at face value, what it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what? God's pretty clear. It's only by faith. Don't let the world, don't let false doctrine bewitch you, hypnotize you into believing that which is wrong. Stay in the book. Study the book. May we not be deceived, but may we be active, vibrant, passionate, Soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of you are important. If you know Jesus as your Savior this evening, my friend, if something seems too good to be true, look it up in the Word of God. Don't take it out of context. Look at it in context and see what it says. And may the Lord help us to stand upon right doctrine and right foundations. This evening, as we come to our time of invitation, we'll have a prayer time to follow, but I just want to challenge you this evening. Number one, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you are here tonight and you're trying to reform your life, trying to get out some of the old bad and just trying to get rid of these bad things to hopefully be good enough for God, please stop. None of us can ever do that. Jesus completed it. Your eternity doesn't rest upon you. Your eternity rests upon what Jesus did on that cross. As Jesus would say, it is finished. He completed it all. Simply put your faith in Christ tonight. Ask Him to be your Savior and you'll be born again. A guarantee of eternity. And Christian, tonight, as you think about these truths, if someone is going down a wrong path, bewitched, by some, maybe some fanciful wording, fanciful scriptures. May we study the word of God, see what it says, and be true to our King. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll just have a moment here of prayer, of invitation period. When you're done praying, look up, and I'll conclude us in a prayer, and then we'll come to our prayer time tonight.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. And Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Lord, I thank you as we look into it. Lord, just uh, see the heart of Paul. God, he was a man led by you, and Father, he had such a love for people to be right in their doctrine, have a right relationship with you, to avoid unnecessary things, and Lord, not to be led astray. So concerned, Lord, that they were set on the right trajectory of the simplicity in Jesus Christ. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get curious and awed by things of this world or things that seem religious and seem of God, but in fact, they are just a mirage. They're a distraction from truth. Father, I pray tonight that you'd help us to determine in our hearts that I just want to know truth, and I'll follow it. And so, Lord, I commit tonight to you. I love you, and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.